0: Welcome to the series of podcasts for FinTech CTO Club, a community where tech executives learn and share best leadership practices. Here, Vasyl Soloschuk, CEO of INSART and the author of FinTech CTO Club, will discuss burning topics on the FinTech product development arena with the technical leaders in the industry. This is episode 4 of our podcast. Our guest today is Malcolm Ross, Vice President and Product at Appian, a low-code platform that enables financial institutions to turn great ideas into high-impact business applications.
1: Could you please, first of all, introduce yourself and uh, what's, your, what's your current role and uh, a little bit what's your background in technology space and in financial space as well?
0: Sure. Uh, Well, my name is Malcolm Ross. I'm the Vice President of Product for Appian. Uh, Been with Appian for just under 15 years now, and been in uh, servicing enterprise software and financial services companies since what about 1990? So 20 plus years or so of experience enterprise software. I'm going on 20, say 25 plus right now. Um, Appian specifically is a uh, digital process automation and low-code application development platform. Uh, with that, you know, we're, we service a wide variety of industries. You know, those include financial services organizations, actually pretty much all the largest uh, you know, retail investment management companies in the world, uh, as well as o- other non-financial services companies, uh, especially in the insurance space and in the government sector uh international governments both here in the united states as well as in europe and australia uh, as well as other kind of retail uh energy a number of sectors but the financial services market uh is about just over said 40 percent of our overall kind of uh, uh customer base is a base in financial services that's the largest market segment that we service is uh financial services g- providing process automation and low-code app development platform ser- um, software for that uh, personally, you know, I, I started out my career uh, in, in software development. When I was about 16 years old, I, I actually worked for a company called Crossland Mortgage Corporation, developing a uh, mortgage rates tracking database uh, for them. So got into software development when I was just like 13, uh, started getting jobs in software development by the time I was 16, uh, worked for a set-up mortgage company back then. Uh, Worked for, when I was about 19 years old, worked for a company called ID on Credit Card Services, developing a TQM tracking database for their call center. Uh, And then finished off my uh, computer science and actuarial mathematics degree uh, from Florida State uh, when I was in my early 20s. Moved up here to the D.C. area. And initially started off in the, uh, I would say, the computer and network architecture and then into the uh, retail e-commerce space when that was the big market in the late 2000s or the early late 90s going into 2000. And then the early 2000s kind of transitioned over to the process automation space. So been in kind of process automation for the past uh, nearly 20 years. Uh, And really the majority of that process automation space has been focused on the financial services sector as far as working with a number of banks and Servicing everything from you know KYC initiatives uh, to uh, AML initiatives to anywhere where automation facilitates the overall operations of financial service organizations.
1: Okay, that's that's really cool. So thank you for for this in information. Um, yeah, so actually, in, in FinTech, uh within fintech CTO Club, we discuss. And actually, we, we try to help uh, technology leaders of fintech companies, you know, like to, to be successful in their in their role by sharing the insights uh, uh, about the companies and about the experience of people in the similar positions. So um, let's discuss a little bit what's what's your current role is. So what what your responsibilities? What are your major challenges that you solve in your current role?
0: In my, in my current role, you know, I'm the head of product for Appian, so I, I lead a, a product strategy team. So my, my main focus in my current role is analyzing the market trends of what's going on across you know, the software technology vendor space and what our customers are demanding. Uh, so my typical workday, talking to customers, understanding you know, uh, what CTO challenges are, look like, what initiatives they have underway, uh, and how Appian can support those initiatives by making recommendations in our long-term product roadmap and product strategy, as well as uh, my team has small Skunkworks development teams. So, what investments do we make on in investigating technologies that will impact our customers, uh, such as artificial intelligence and blockchain, and those types of impacts, and developing prototypes and trying to understand how we incorporate those into our product set to make it more attractive to the, uh, what financial services organizations are trying to do with the Appian platform.
1: Okay, okay, that's interesting. So, uh, you know, uh, talking about the, finan- uh, the clients in the financial space, so you mentioned that they are like major retail investment uh, uh, institution. So, but uh, could you please describe what is the typical journey of the financial, uh, financial client of your company? So how does it start, what you do, what's, uh, so do you do any like custom services for them or not? So yeah, how, it works? how does it work?
0: So how customers find Appian is um, when they realize that they need to build something unique to their business. So mm-hmm. Appian's not in the process or of offering kind of package SaaS solutions. We are what I would call a pass or platform, uh, that's going to allow them to innovate rapidly in an agile, low-code manner. So typically the customer for us is when there's when there's a solution needed that cannot be purchased out of the box. So if there's a you know loan origination platform or some package solution that meets their needs specifically, they're typically not going to choose Appian. But when you are one of the largest banks in the world and you are kind of facing unique challenges, I would say, as far as uh, solutions that can't be solved out of the box from a packaged software platform, typically they choose Appian as a platform to develop that upon. So, and why they choose Appian is because of course, the, um, the platform is designed in a low code manner, which allows them to rapidly build the solution uh, rather than doing kind of more onerous custom code development. It's you know, a visual way of dragging and dropping and building kind of a solution. And then, as well, allows them to collaborate more fluidly with business and deliver in an agile manner. So, I can iteratively deliver solutions on top of it very quickly. Um, So, with that, you know, our our customers, I said, um, uh, I'm not sure if I can name them specifically, but, uh, you know, if you name the top three banks in the world, they're all using Appian. Uh, And uh, as far as the retail and commercial and the lending side, and what they're using Appian for is things like anti-money laundering you know um they're using maybe a custom ai and big data platform to mine uh you know patterns and money laundering activity and then when they need to address those money laundering activities they need to kick it off into a case management resolution process uh, to investigate that specific laundering activity uh, determine if it's actually you know uh, uh, with malicious intent or just a normal transaction and, and that's where you know Appian's applied inside of that. Uh, other spaces, you know, when you're in commercial lending, for example, when you're uh, one of the largest commercial lenders in the United States, here uh, you, ha- you face very custom, you know, uh, requirements that can't be uh, solved out of the box with a typical LOS system. So again, they're using Appian to do the specific process you need for the underwriting and the you know risk analysis, what they're doing around commercial lending for
1: those. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, so uh, you mentioned that you're, um, you know, like there are a couple of trends like uh, using artificial intelligence and machine learning to, mm-hmm. you know, to apply, uh, as soon as in financial industry, we sit on the uh, big big amounts of data that should be and could be analyzed uh, to provide some insights and also mentioned the blockchain and there are a couple other things, but the uh, what's what do you see what are the most trendy things uh, happening in in, uh, in in financial industry right now? what's the biggest demand and how can actually address this uh, this needs like machine learning and artificial intelligence?
0: If we break down the the biggest trends right so the uh, blockchain has kind of crossed over you know if you use the Gartner term you know the, the hype cycle. Uh, mm-hmm. It's kind of crested that initial hype. And I think uh, most people now better understand what blockchain is, uh, as far as a technology, understand the benefits and drawbacks. You know, the benefits obviously being an immutable ledger that can be shared across, you know, organizations. It could be used obviously for monetary things uh, such as Bitcoin, uh, but as well, it could be used for things just like tracking, you know, a, a bill of records. Uh, blockchain has drawbacks, you know. As far as the uh, the transaction speed is very slow, uh, it's a you know a very slow immutable database, uh, it, and obviously it's immutable, so it can't be changed. There's drawbacks. I think in 2018 there was a lot of exploration by you know financial services and non-financial service organizations to understand the impact of blockchain on their business. Mm-hmm. People now understand what this the technology is. But in financial services, you still have a uh, a strong motivation, I would say, by organizations outside of the traditional financial services snack to utilize blockchain to disrupt the entire monetary system. Uh, you know, to bypass government uh, government issued you know, uh, you know government issued currency and have an alternative currency for that. So there's still a, very much a tracking of what's going on in blockchain, but uh, you know, it's, I, I see a, a better understanding of exactly what it is. You know, I think uh, last year Appian was very much invested in uh, understanding also the impact of blockchain and what impact customers have. And it wasn't impacting us as much specifically as it impacts the fundamental nature of mon- monetary currency uh, throughout mm-hmm. the world. Uh, the The hottest technology trend from 2018 to 2019, especially in financial services, has been uh, automation, uh, you know, intelligent automation mm-hmm. activities. Uh, that's seeing the application of uh, robotic process automation technologies and overall automation technologies. So that remains a, a very hot trend. Appian is in kind of the nexus of that already. Uh, we have uh, obviously uh, being a business process management platform for, for 15 years now. Uh, we're right in the middle of where automation occurs across a lot of these financial services companies. And then, of course, we have these extended partnerships with the RPA platforms like Blue Prism, UiPath, and Automation Anywhere that allow them to tightly integrate robotic uh, process automation with their overall process or environment. So, that remains a really hot trend. Obviously, the RPA vendors are growing leaps and bounds, and Appian is also growing very strongly based on this uh, trend. Uh, part of that is the incorporation of artificial intelligence into the automation. So, uh, there's still, I would say, a good amount of confusion. Of where to apply AI and where to achieve mm-hmm. the greatest benefits of AI inside of organizations, uh, and I always like to help customers break down, you know, what, what, where to apply AI, but understanding, you know, what types of AI are available. AI is a a general term that simply describes yeah. the use of, you know, uh, a computer-based system and large data sets to train an environment to make decisions for you. Uh, you know, there's lots of patterns for that and uh, potential applications. The easiest way for customers to start to use AI is to use someone else's pre-trained cognitive services mm-hmm. and their own data sets. So again, if you're, if you're wondering how to get that AI checkbox very quickly, you know, look at organizations like your contact center. You know, mm-hmm. uh, lots of inbound inquiries coming from customers. You can very easily apply things like natural language processing, sentiment yeah. analysis, sentiment scoring, uh, pre-trained cognitive services from companies like Google, AWS, uh, mm-hmm. and other like, you know, data robot and other environments like that that can add AI to your overall process orchestrations to optimize those process outcomes. Uh, and what you're trying to achieve here is, you know, uh, you're trying to have a faster triaging of inbound customer inquiries uh, mm-hmm. to understand what their intent is and route them to the appropriate contact center person very quickly. You're mm-hmm. also trying to you know increase your service level uh, times, so reducing those times to uh, resolution, and obviously uh, trying to improve your net promoter scores and uh, overall customer service scores. Uh, so that's the, that's the kind of low hanging fruit of AI. Uh, that middle tier of AI is where you start to introduce a little bit of your own kind of unique business operations. And uh, a good example of that is like intent analysis. There's a, a good one from Microsoft Azure called Lewis, Language Understanding Intent Score. And intent analysis starts to take in some natural language processing, but combines it with of the overall operations of your business so I can say if they're talking about this then they probably want say a credit score rating or they probably want to report a credit card fraud transaction or something like this so Mm -hmm. you're trying to correlate natural language to your specific business operations and understand potential intent and that's where I'm starting to combine a little bit of my custom data with some pre-trained cognitive services to achieve again a a better outcome for customer action. And then the the, the highest tier of AI or custom machine learning is where as I build up my own custom data sets, and financial services organizations have huge data sets of course, uh, so it's ripe for applications of AI, uh, where I need to now train a cognitive service or train a machine learning service to understand my unique data to optimize my own specific business outcomes. Uh, a good example is like money laundering, you know, massive amounts of, you know, uh, financial transaction data can be mined to understand patterns. You can look at the pattern analysis, train a machine learning service to recognize those patterns and then automatically identify money laundering activities so you can have better reporting and better kind of uh, uh, awareness of uh, illicit activity going on my financial uh, systems. So uh, that's, you know, that requires um, the biggest commitment to AI because you always have to approach artificial intelligence with the idea that this is not a project. This is like raising a child, right? So if you, if you raise a child, you're always teaching that child new skills, new capabilities. So it's not like you just teach it once and yeah. uh, you need to always be going back and re-educating and evolving and improving and it is a program that needs to be in place not just a simple project and say i can check the ai box and be done if you're looking for the simple project then you want to apply that cognitive uh, pre-trained cognitive services like nlp right. where someone else is raising the child for you and you're just using the output of it but if you want to do it yourself you got to really have a commitment to the uh, to them cleaning the data scrubbing the data always training the machine learning Making sure the machine learning is making proper decisions and validating the decisions and as you're validating retrain machine learning to make those better decisions in the future as well. Uh, so, you know, again, probably to summarize this where Appian is in, uh, Here involved here, obviously, as I mentioned, we're in the nexus of that overall automation activities uh, where I'm personally investing as far as uh, VP of product Appian is looking at these AI technologies and blockchain technologies and building integration adapters and frameworks. Like um, recently we announced a uh, relationship (laughs) with Google where Appian now bundles the Google AI services with our product. And that simply is again uh, acknowledging what customers wanna do in process automation technologies with Appian and trying to facilitate those and make it easier by bundling services and bundling these integrations more easily so you can leverage these technologies with your overall platform.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so thank you. Thank you for sharing this information. So, um, you know, continuing the discussion regarding the integrations. So actually, integrations is a big, uh, a, a big part of the um, you know, work in the FinTech uh, industry. Mm-hmm. And actually, through the integrations, you get more partners and you can get more clients. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, almost every fintech company, uh, they have uh, kind of uh, integration strategies whether, you know, integrate with other platform or start using the data from other platform or services from other platforms or providing their own APIs. And uh, so actually the question is, so what's, what in general is the strategy of appen uh, regarding the integrations you know, like whether using like you yeah, like you mentioned, you your are you're signing the this partnership with Google. But what are the what are the major integrations have you done? What are the what are partners do you have here? Sure. Uh, what what kind of APIs yourself do you provide, and for what types of clients maybe, or for what types of partnerships as
0: well? Yeah, from a from an architecture perspective, you know, CTOs need to understand that um, there's no such thing as a siloed system anymore. You mm-hmm. know very much every system needs to be connected and integrated and leveraged as part of a larger ecosystem.
1: If you're Mm -hmm. building
0: silo systems, you're not achieving the maximum value of it. Um, But with that, you know, of course integration needs to also be easier. Um, A big part of the, the rise of robotic process automation, you know, the, the vendors like Blue Prism and UiPath and Automation Anywhere and others in the RPA space, that, that rise in that market has been based on the failures of SOA architecture, the failures of IT to build integrations quickly and, uh, and easily Enough to allow the business to tie systems together. So the most common use case for robotic cross automation technologies is integration. It's uh, if you're familiar with RPA, it's basically using a desktop to uh, to tell a robot to manually copy and paste data between two systems. It's uh, probably the most inefficient way to integrate environments, but it speaks to the volumes to the need for effective integration strategies, uh, and that RPA is filling that gap to have a more effective integration to these like <laughs> complex mm-hmm. integrations. Uh, but that doesn't mean to give up on SOA. You know, SOA... I like to describe RPA as the ibuprofen of uh, integration. You know, any any business user can go buy RPA from the local convenience store, take some, it's gonna solve your problems for a few hours. But, you know, when Windows needs to run an update and changes the UI a little bit, it's gonna break your robot. You know, eventually the benefits are gonna fade. Uh, I describe a proper silo architecture as, you know, amoxicillin. If you have a bacteria okay. infection, you know, it, Moxicillin or penicillin, it's gonna cure you of that disease. It's gonna kill the bacteria. Mm-hmm. So you wanna focus on long-term strategies like SOA architecture and be aware of kind of the integra- modern integration strategies such as uh, Appian is heavily invested in open API and Swagger. Uh, we wanna make sure that, you know, uh, when we publish a RESTful API endpoint or when we want to consume that, that it's done in a way that makes it very easy for other people to consume. And that's the importance of having a swagger file associated with the RESTful endpoints that gives that rich description of the, in, uh, the inputs and outputs and data model that's gonna go along with that RESTful API. Just gonna really make it much easier for other people to integrate to your environment uh we've taken that a step further as well and try to build what we call no code integrations so mm-hmm. reducing it down to where a business user can say use our salesforce integration or our blue prism integration and literally breaking down to just a prompt of menus what do you want to integrate so i want to get my list of accounts from salesforce which accounts do you want to get kind of a, like they fill in say a TurboTax form fill in that integration and make it easy to, for a business to properly integrate between systems and not maybe use, say, uh, an RPA uh, Band-Aid uh, on, on top of that. So integration has a long way to go still. Uh, we're in a RPA hype, uh, hype curve right now, which is based on the need for integration. Mm-hmm. But uh, Appian and other vendors and our customers, you know, we, we must kind of evolve this pattern to make integration easier and easier and easier and even addressable that the businesses, business users can almost self-integrate or self-service to tie systems together for which they need to accomplish, you know, better automations and better process patterns in their organization. You know.
1: Okay. yeah, So that's really interesting. Thank you. So a- another topic I would like to discuss um, uh, as, as soon as you are VP of product, and we also discuss. Uh, we, 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 also, discuss the question how the product management is done uh, in companies. So, if you can, uh, if you can tell us um, some of your uh, insights, how? yeah I got a be, yeah. No fire truck in the background. <laughs> how, yeah, so how to be efficient? You know, uh, with a uh, uh, product management uh, process. So, yep. what maybe some of the, of the tips? Uh, how your process uh, is done? How you prioritize things? How you get feedback from clients and transform it into you know uh, some doable uh, yeah. features? Uh, that will be interesting to to know.
0: Yeah, I, Agile uh, is a uh, in, well. First, I describe Appian. Uh, we're a very pure, committed Agile organization. So we do internal releases of our platform every single week. And we do external GA releases to our customers once every quarter. Uh, and you know, to achieve that type of, uh, output as far as the reliability of the platform, uh, to be able to introduce new code every week and have a major release every quarter to our customers and maintain backwards compatibility with the previous solutions our customers have, as well as maintain the reliability the architecture requires uh, almost beyond just like the technical investments, which we'll talk about, but requires a cultural shift and a commitment to agile that, hey, this is what we're gonna do. There, There is no option for riding a long spec and just waiting six months or eight months or over a year to deliver that software solution. We're gonna ask every engineer <clears throat> to produce something every week, check it in, and have that commitment to quality and reliability as part of that. We, meet, we started this journey uh, 10, 12 years ago, and you know, I'd say we kind of hit our stride after probably five years of realist commitment to agile. So it's, it's a cultural shift to achieve that. Uh, and what we do, of obviously, and what we've invested in from a technical perspective to accomplish that is a really heavy investment in CICD. Uh, Continuous integration, continuous delivery, and there's a number of tools obviously support that. You know, we use GitHub, we use Jenkins, uh, but more importantly, we have very liberal access to all of our engineers to hardware on demand. So Mm -hmm. we have process uh, process automations actually built on our own solution that allow any engineer in the company to instantly spin up an AWS instance running any version of Appian. And to also run a battery of over a million unit tests on that instance immediately. So you want to liberate your your engineers by giving them free uh, free access. Uh, obviously, it doesn't cost free, but liberal access, we'll say, to uh, to those resources they need to rapidly test and rapidly spin up environments so that they can be highly productive. Uh, So that was a big investment for us as far as to make that fluid access for engineering organization and software developers to not have to wait around for hardware requests and service requests. They can just submit a request right on Appian, uh, fill out a form, exactly what version they want, the exact configuration, how many database servers, what stack, hit go within about you know, a few minutes, they get that env- exact environment set up, and they can go ahead and inject their code into it, add their code, and then run, say, a million unit tests on it, and then get the results back uh, right away. So that that type of CI-CD architecture is kind of a utopia, but it's really important to enable that fluid a kind of development cycle and actually meet those weekly kind of delivery timelines. From the um, from the customer perspective, you know, in the long-term strategy perspective, we have long-term goals. Uh, we have long-term, um, you know, it's not waterfall, but we still know where we want to take the product. We communicate that with our customers, validating this as far as like this is our vision for where we'd like to be. So a year, two years, three years from now, uh, we have iterative uh, releases between now and then, but uh, we want to have a clear destination in mind as far as what we want to achieve Uh, but always revalidating that with our customer base so i spend most of my time talking to customers talking to market analysts understanding those dynamics feeding that information back to our engineering and product management organization so they can make those lower level decisions about how we iteratively achieve those goals breaking down the larger problem into smaller kind of iterative cycles and then having those Mm -hmm. weekly cycles uh, delivered like that uh, as I said, it's it's a cultural shift. Uh, it's a it's it, it requires well it requires both a cultural shift as well as a large technology investment on CICD and liberal access to engineering resources in order to enable, enable that kind of agile shift in delivery. You know?
1: So, what was the um, you know biggest problem when you uh, was building this this C I C D pipeline? So what. No, was- from a-
0: Technical mm-hmm. perspective, it, it's just you know, the, it's just getting it done right. Having a vision,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I, I would say the biggest challenge is more the cultural perspective. You know, mm-hmm. having finance not question, yes, engineers need to just spin up AWS instances whenever they want without having approval cycles and things like this. It's mm-hmm. also the uh, the business executive perspective, and often the business executives want to have a vision for. The, the product, you know, the, that's maybe uh, much larger in scope than being delivered and getting the business to appreciate the small iterative improvements that are delivered. So it requires a frequent communication with the business, much more involvement from the business that often they're used for or, or, com, or used to, I would say, uh, mm-hmm. being involved with as far as the technology investments, you know, making sure the business is actually at the sprint reviews and engaged in the sprint reviews and understanding the iterative improvements that are occurring in the product. Uh, and if you don't have that, you know, um, it, it's really challenging because the business needs to understand that every organization is a technology organization now, especially mm-hmm. in organizations like FinTech and financial financial services and FinTech. Mm-hmm. If you're not operating like a technology company, you're probably not gonna succeed in the long term. So the business needs to be deeply engaged with the iterative improvements of the product and knowing kind of how those lead to the ultimate goals that they want to drive towards.
1: All right, all right, makes sense. Uh, So another important topic I would like to discuss is how to structure the uh, product and engineering teams. Uh, Mm -hmm. So actually this is very important uh, in addition to, you know, like uh, having an agile approach and uh, the processes it's where in, in different companies, the teams are structured in different ways um, depending also on the size of the team, the size of the scope of work that you need to deliver. And, you know, the bigger are, the, engin- the uh, engineering team is, you know, they, it, is, looks, it looks like it's harder to structure it in the right way so everybody delivers. So actually, what's your, what's your experience uh, in, uh, in structuring, uh, in putting the structure to the, for, the t- for the engineering team? and also in in relation to product team. So how it is done maybe in Appian and what what kind of experience do you have? At
0: Appian, we have a strong kind of a, I think it's Kanban tribe type mentality, but the idea that uh, uh, when we put together a tribe of engineers, you Mm -hmm. wanna make sure that those engineers are fully capable to deliver their overall mission, which means that you, if you know the tribe idea that there's specific people serving specific functions in a tribe. I have the hunter-gatherer. I have the you know the work, uh, the, the person who's gonna hunt, the person who's gonna gather, the person who's gonna raise the children in a tribe. Uh, in a tribe in engineering, I have maybe like your front-end developer, I have a back-end developer, I have a database expert. You wanna have small, tight tribes uh, that are able to communicate very fluidly with each other uh, so that they can solve problems very quickly. Uh, and that they can together solve that overall mission they have in their small kind of iterative approach. So we really kind of uh, kind of um, Think all organizations to think about that way because the most important thing around agile delivery is Maintaining the productivity of your engineers uh, if an engineer is going to hit a bottleneck like if I have a front-end engineer who doesn't really understand database design but their problem that you've given them requires both database design and front end design, then they're going to hit a roadblock and their burn down chart's not going to look very good because they're not going to meet their goals. So you got to make sure that the overall tribe is cohesive and fully staffed with the skill sets to meet the overall goals in place. Uh, and also, uh, when that cohesive small is often better, you know, they're talking about five to 10 or so on a specific tribe, even less as far as specific tribe, depending on the skill sets and the goals. But uh, cohesive communication, rapid communication, Appian specifically, uh, almost 90% of our engineers are here in a physical office together in the same space. I know that's not possible for all organizations, but you always wanna think about how these people are actually gonna communicate and how they're going to collaborate instantly when they need to in order to uh, accomplish a goal. So investing in tools like Slack or messaging Mm -hmm. and things like this that are gonna enable that rapid communication is very important. Um, When it comes to the overall product management, again, it's the idea that product managers need to understand the high-level goals, where we're trying to steer the ship, and then the steps we're gonna take between there. So the product managers need to be able to communicate to the business on the high level, you know, where we're trying to go and then break it down, this is probably the most important skill, is how do you break down a big problem into small digestible chunks? And the product managers, that's their main goal. And then deliver those chunks and those small kind of uh, goals to the individual engineers. So looking for that skill set of someone who can like take a big problem, break it down into small problems, and then solve each one of those small problems to achieve the, uh, the higher level goal, that's probably the skill set you really look at. Uh, and what else? As far as the organization structure, you know, uh, my specific team as well, I directly manage. Uh, I'm heavily involved with the engineering side, but I directly manage the outside uh, influence, I would say, the, the disruptive side. Oftentimes when I have a product management and general organization that's kind of working on their own, solving their own problems, they get blinders to the market dynamics what's going on. So I always encourage also having a maybe an entirely separate team that's almost competitive, but it's uh, entirely externally facing. Whereas the requirements are not defined by internal people. They're defined by talking to customers. Uh, you, you have to have kind of both where I need to solve my own problems. I need to have investments in that But I also need to have an eye on the market and what's going on and have a, a rapid squad of engineers who can show the art of the possible to other executives and to our own staff uh and that's kind of my my team's direct responsibility as well is doing a research a raw research into ai and blockchain and ml and these things and spending more time on the research side and the prototyping side to show uh maybe people who are more internally focused of what's actually going on the market and uh, having them look at problems maybe differently as well uh so it's a it's a you know, like any organization that's based on personalities and collaboration and cohesion in the teams as well, but setting up those is very important, keeping them small, keeping them agile, keeping them highly collaborative and communicative, and setting up these kind of agile patterns of work, you know, sprint reviews, very important, you know, uh, stand-ups very important, making sure they follow these uh, prescribed patterns that are proven to work.
1: Okay, okay, yeah, thank you. That's- Very, very solid answer. So thank you very much. And uh, another topic I would like to discuss is related to the technical depth. And, you know, like uh, Everybody wants to deliver the business features, uh, you know, to satisfy Mm -hmm. the, the customers. Mm-hmm. uh but uh, uh when you're in business in technology business for years uh so definitely in mean, every organization will have uh, some level of the technical debt mm-hmm. and actually, the question is so how do you deal with that so what's your strategy of like eliminating the technical debt and how do you split the effort of the of, your, uh, of the engineering and product team, uh, uh, mostly like engineering team across, uh, across like delivering the business features and solving the technical depth uh, uh, problem. And also, if if you uh, if you ever participated like in a rare architect in a rare engineering uh, the whole system or a part of the system, so uh, it will be interesting to know your experience on that.
0: Well, I, I, the first thing with technical debt, I would say, is definitely first to be aware of it. Uh, it's surprising how many customers maybe aren't even aware of the technical debt that they assume. So investing in tools, I think there's like a tool called uh, Sonatype, for example, that mm-hmm. can automatically analyze, you know, source code for open source uh, libraries that you're using. And understanding oftentimes, you know, engineers just, you know, introduce new tools or open source libraries maybe without fully disclosing them Uh, so you need to have a great awareness of what the ecosystem of software you are using to understand what your posture of debt actually looks like Uh, that's probably the first step you know you got you have to just know all the loans you signed up for and all the debt you signed up for in the architectures you're investing in and it's also important to know that uh, technical debt is unavoidable you, you cannot build an, a platform that does not have technical debt whatever you invest in if you're going to build an iphone app right well you know what uh, iphone changes their operating system every single year and if you're building it on any technology that technology is going to change and therefore you have technical debt so technical debt's unavoidable you need to be aware of it and be aware of the overall risk that you have towards it so that you can actually properly address it uh, you need to also look at SaaS platforms, true SaaS platforms, the main value of true SaaS platforms and past platforms that deliver in the cloud is the avoidance of technical debt. You know, I, When I try to convince like a, a financial services company on uh, the nature of cloud development and cloud delivery, I ask them, what version of Google do you use? Right, mm-hmm. And everyone replies, I don't. Version. I just Google, but you know what? Google introduces new software uh, to their to their search platform every single day. You know uh, they're evolving that platform every day, and this is the value of the cloud: is that it can free you from some level of technical debts by investing in a platform that allows it to evolve fluidly over time, uh, while not having the customer bear the burden of upgrading it, of of maintaining that software over time. So uh, that's where Appian is firmly committed as far as to allow our platform to evolve, evolve very fluidly, to allow customers to innovate on our platform while also making sure that it's compliant with the latest browser technology, latest mobile devices, it, has, it meets the latest security standards, it's patched the latest level to make sure there's no security holes in it. Uh, all these things that uh, create technical debt can be avoided by moving more operations to Cloud Pass platforms. Um, but again, you're investing in the Cloud Pass, so that, that itself is also gonna be technical debt because maybe mm-hmm. one day you're not gonna use that or you're gonna migrate off it. Uh, but it's unavoidable as far as uh, investing in technical debt. So as far as the recommendations, I would say from a customer buying pattern, mm-hmm. seriously look at you know, Cloud Pass and look at the nature of the upgrade cycles. When you're evaluating Cloud platforms, look at how easy it is to upgrade from one version to the other. If it's like the Google where you don't even know what upgrades, when upgrades occur, that's the utopia, right? I don't necessarily want to be aware. I just want to use it as a service. If the customer is required to go through onerous effort in order to upgrade the platform and is running in the cloud, it's not really a cloud. It's just a hosted kind of a on-premise environment. It's a true cloud is gonna kind of going to evolve, not expose you to that technical debt of maintenance and upgrades. Uh, when it comes to a software vendor uh, or anyone building custom software and technical debt, again, what I mentioned before, know actually what you're investing in, invest in tools that allow you to discover, do proper product management that identifies all the different tools you're going to be using, so you know what your investments are, and do an analysis of the risk on those uh, platforms as well. And as well, just have a commitment to technical debt as far as backwards compatibility and upgradability. It's... It's a little bit of a cultural shift that says, you know what you know when the latest iPhone comes out or the latest Android comes out or when um, Oracle releases a new version of Java. We're going to support that you know we're we're firmly committed to evolving our platform and that's a cultural shift To say that we're not going to let certain platforms stagnate and we're always going to be evolving them over time. Maybe that's not appropriate for all systems. But for your key systems, especially consumer-facing systems, it just requires that firm commitment to say, I'm always going to be paying down technical debt. I'm going to always accommodate certain sprint cycles in my uh, agile delivery to address technical debt. uh, And uh, and I'm going to make sure that it's always kind of ready for the latest uh, technology that's coming to market uh, today.
1: Okay. Okay. Thank you. So, in relation to the previous question, so um, what's uh, what are the major uh, main technology stack that you use to develop the and solutions actually? And also, uh, and another question here is also what the decision process to you know to introduce new uh, tools, new frameworks, or languages or whatever, as you as you mentioned so that you know like developers they introduce mm-hmm. some. Uh, yeah. Uh, sometimes on the go, but what the major decision-making process uh, uh, that that you have uh, in regards of introducing new technologies uh, to build the the applications and products? So we have,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, Appian is largely a Java-based platform, so that's the the fundamental kind of platform that we use. Uh, you know, running on a Tomcat environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to Uh, understanding what new technologies to invest in. we have an architectural council, you know, a chief architect who look at this. So they have a full-time job looking at all the technologies used to support the Appian platform, evaluating those, uh, going through architectural review, architectural council, documenting, understanding the technical debt and overall approach to these, and, and then making investments. So we don't allow individual engineers to, uh, say, make those decisions, say, hey, I'm going to just grab this library and inject into Appian. It has to go through architectural review, architectural council, and get approval before actually making it into the uh, Appian platform.
1: Okay, okay, thank you, thank you. Yeah, so, uh, all right, so I have a few last questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so the one question is uh, about your Individual time management, and uh, as soon as you're in the leader, uh, in the leadership role, you need to tackle many different things. And uh, the question is, uh, do you have any? Do you use any specific time management techniques? How do you plan your uh, personal time? How do you split it? How do you prioritize it? So it will be interesting to know.
0: I I just calendar calendar. So I live by my calendar and I'm constantly checking my calendar to make sure uh, Looking about usually two to three weeks out that I know where I'm spending my time and scheduling those meetings appropriately. Outside of that, it's all about building uh, a team that's reliable and innate and empowered, I would say, so that um, I don't necessarily need to be at certain meetings. Uh, I just simply need to be kind of uh, empowering my you know directors and senior directors to make decisions on their specific area. So that requires just ensuring individual contributors and directors know their scope, uh, know their responsibilities, clearly communicate the goals for which you want them to achieve. And then also the the meeting I do not miss ever, uh, or try never to miss is my weekly one-on-ones with my directors, uh, because I want to. Uh, all of, while they're going to be in many meetings throughout the week, uh, doing technology partnerships or researching new technologies, I want to get my checkpoint. I don't do a. Uh, uh, I personally don't do kind of the structured status report. I don't make them type it up. It's more of a fluid conversation. I talk about what I talked about the previous week. Uh, what we talked about and asked them what, what did you accomplish prior week, getting more insights and direct communication. I, I simply just prefer the direct communication with my directors and kind of status reports because mm-hmm. you get more fluid conversation and you can ask more fluid, uh, uh, go in tangents if you need to explore more deeply about what's going on. Uh, but again, I would say that's it. Now, it's you know clearly em- empowering your directors and senior directors and making sure they clearly understand their scope of work and responsibilities of work, so that they uh, aren't confused as far as the overlap between other people, and can make decisions on their own inside their own scope as well.
1: So, what type of work uh, uh, you what type of work uh, you, you don't uh, delegate, you know, because. Certainly you do have well, a team, but what type of... You know, when, I, when I
0: have um, more junior employees, uh, you know, I'll, I'll spend more time with my more junior ones than my more senior ones because uh, I'm responsible for all the operations. And if I see some uh, weaker experience in one area, I'll spend more time in there and I won't delegate that out. So I'll, uh, And my goal there is not just making sure it's done, but it's also mentorship, mentoring the junior employee so that they can be better empowered later. Uh, The other means I I don't delegate out is when uh, there's cross coordination of teams, right? So oftentimes, if I give an example, we're looking at maybe a a new technology partnership or a technology investment. And that requires coordination of my technology partnership director, my product strategy development team, who's maybe prototyping that strategy, as well as maybe uh, with legal or other departments. Uh, If there's a lot of cross department coordination I'll make sure I'm in that meeting to make sure that the people understand where the responsibilities lie in that uh, initiative to make sure the company goal is
1: achieved. Okay, okay, cool, cool. And also a question, how do you learn? And uh, how do you enforce your uh, people to learn? So whether it is like you know any kind of workshops or book or reading books or attending yeah. conferences or some other techniques.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I specifically assign people jobs to say, like, when there's a new technology, I'll ask one of my proxy developers, hey, please spend the next two months learning about AI and learning about maybe blockchain and just do that. And I'll ask them to actually achieve it with the goal, say the expectation is, we wanna have a prototype or we wanna have some type of briefing that I want you to investigate this. So learning is, uh, not as much an individual thing, but it's also a company thing, that uh, if there's there's individual learning to occur, I wanna make sure that I delegate the time for them to actually research and learn, but also have the expectation that what you learn, you need to now come back and train 20, 30 other people on that technology as well. So in setting the expectation that it's not about just individual, but it's also about sharing what you learn and making the overall organization smarter around the
1: specific investment. Okay, that's cool. So the very last question. So what is the most uh, motivating and interesting part of your job right now? And what is the most boring part of your job?
0: <laughs> uh, most interesting would be probably uh, constantly um, investing in new technologies. You know, it's, uh, I have a company who's willing to uh, invest in my team and my, myself to explore and to research. So I've had the, op- uh, when, it, when robotics were hot, uh, I actually was able to go out and procure a $30,000 humanoid light manufacturing robot that's sitting outside my office and do integrations to that. Uh, when blockchain was hot, we're you know working with Ethereum and some big blockchain platforms. So the if you're into technology, exploring technology, it's a great job because it's, it's always changing. There's always something to learn. And that's probably one of the most exciting parts. Uh, most boring parts, I would say, is, you know, uh, It's, you know, RFPs, you know, (laughs) responding a lot of times, you know, it's, uh, they're interesting to see how customers and even analysts are looking at the market by looking at a large list of questions, but uh, they're, they're pretty, uh, pretty long to go through as far as these hundreds of pages of, uh, you know, documents to review around technology that we're already familiar with, but helping customers, you know, uh, understand how Appian is uh, addressing that in a very, very long detailed document. Even that's not too boring. It's just, it's just very laborious in order to respond.
1: Okay. Okay, Malcolm. So thank you very much. These are all of my questions for today. Cool. Uh,